Amen. Amen. Psalm 46 is where we will be. I don't know if this is my favorite psalm, but if it isn't, it wouldn't take long to call roll before I got to this one. I love this psalm. Psalm 46. Note takers, fbcdan.com slash notes. Email your notes to yourself when you get done. We will be in Psalm 46 today. We'll also spend a little time in 2 Kings, but I'll have that on the screen for you. So we've got this week, and we're going to finish up, lest the Lord changes my heart, uh, with Psalm 19 next week. We'll finish up with Psalm 19 next week for this finish, to finish up this Psalms series that we're in. The Book of Praises, Tehillim, the Book of Praises. We've spent quite a bit of time in here. If you've missed any of these, not because I'm very special, but because the Psalms are special, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to these messages because the Psalms have really affected me this month and through this series, honestly. It's an awesome, awesome place to spend a little time in God's Word. So we'll be in Psalm 46 today. No fancy intros or anything. Let's get into God's Word and get rolling. It says, God is our refuge and strength. A helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil. There's a river. Its streams delight the city of God. The holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage. Kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He burns up the chariots. Stop your fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations. Exalted on the earth. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Lord God, please speak to us this morning, God. Use me as your vessel however you see fit. Lord, use your spirit to give me the words to give to us this morning. God, may we forever be changed by the speaking of your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. That was from the HCSB. Um, I actually like the NLT for the Psalms. It's, I think it's got the smoothest reading of the Psalms. Um, the NLT can get a little wonky in other places, but the New Living Translation is a great translation for the Psalms. But that was from the HCSB, and I like the way the HCSB says Psalms 46. Let's dig into this. We've got a lot here today, but we've got one thing that I really hope we take away from today. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Now, we sang two songs this morning that were based out of Psalm 46. The last one we just sang was Psalm 46, so it's definitely based in Psalm 46. Uh, but the first song we sang, A Mighty Fortress, that's, a, that's one of the oldest hymns we have. Uh, that's, that, psalm was written by, that song was written by Martin Luther, and he based it on Psalm 46. Now, if you don't have any idea who Martin Luther is, just suffice it to say, the band went through a lot. When he says in that song, they might kill my mortal body, but God's truth is still going to be true. He literally lived that out. He stood in front of the Catholic Church at a time when the Catholic Church was very corrupt. Most of you may have heard in history class the Protestant Reformation. He was the one that sparked that. 
Uh, he was the reason all that happened. And he was brought in front of the Catholic Church uh, where he was at the, at the uh, Diet of Worms and was told, recant or die. And to sum it up, he said, do what you got to do. I'll never recant. If I have to die, I have to die. And uh, so that psalm, I love that psalm. He takes, he takes Psalm 46 and puts it in, you know, well, it's in German originally, but puts it in kind of poet, even more poetic language, I feel like. A bulwark. I love that word. You ever say that? Whoever uses that word anymore? A bulwark is our God. That's, that's cool. Um, so if you've never really listened to that psalm, I would, that song, go and listen to that. Go and listen to that song. We sang it this morning, that hymn. It's a hymn. Um, a mighty fortress is our God. And that's really the basis of this whole psalm, the strength of God, that, that God is a, a refuge, that he is a helper. The three words used here for these three words are refuge is makasai. Strength, we talked about last week, is oz. And then helper, ezra. Only three times that word in that form is used in Scripture, and one of those times is here. Makasai is a refuge. It literally is just like we think of the word refuge. It's, that's a, a great English word for this Hebrew word. It's a shelter from a storm, from a rainstorm, from, a, from danger. It's a shelter from falsehood. Think about Martin Luther using that word as he was being challenged with falsehood. Figuratively, it can, be mean, it can mean hope or trust, but literally it means a shelter. The HCSB translate this, translates this word 20 times. Uh, it's used 20 times in the Old Testament as refuge. Mostly it uses it the word refuge to translate this word. It also uses the word protection. It also uses the word shelter. Of the 20 times that it's used in the Old Testament, 12 of those times are in the Psalms. It's amazing how that happens. O's, again, we talked about O's last week. Strength, might, capability to perform a given task. 93 times this word is used in the Old Testament. 44 of those times are in the Psalms. This word is mostly translated as strength. It's also translated power. Also translated might, as in mighty. Not might like maybe, but might like mighty. Strength as in force, security. It's even sometimes majesty or praise, because sometimes something is so mighty that it's just majestic, or it causes you to praise. And then the last word there, helper, is Ezra. Help. Uh, uh, one who helps. 26 times in the HCSB, this word is translated. 14 of those times in the Psalms. And it's help, it's helper, it's aid, it's ally. That's how this psalm opens up describing God. He is our refuge, our strength, our helper, our makaseh, our oz, our ezra. He is a God that is capable of doing what he needs to do and is fully able to do what he says he is going to do. He has what it takes to be there in times of trouble. It says he will always be found in times of trouble. And there is and will always be times of trouble as long as human beings are ruled in this world by Satan, who is the father of lies. There will always be times of trouble in this life. If you didn't know that, you'll find out real soon. Just live a little longer. Verse 2, because of that, because God is those things, we will not be afraid. Therefore, we will not be afraid. The Though the earth trembles and the mountaintops topple and the depths of the seas, into the depths of the seas, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil, because of God's ability to shelter us, because of his mighty strength and his desire and ability to help, we don't fear what seems to be even the worst of the worst in this physical world. 
I mean, think about what those words are saying. Picture that in your mind. Mountains toppling, the earth trembling, right? When the seas rage and foam, if you've ever seen videos or been close to a hurricane, things like that. It's, it's, it's as scary a setting as this world, this physical world can manifest. Two things that, that seem immovable, right? And indestructible, the earth and the mountains. Things that shouldn't topple, things that shouldn't fall apart. But sometimes they do. And something that is never at rest. It's always menacing, right? The sea, the roar and the foam and the depths of the sea. Often the seas are used as a, as a metaphor for sin, for evil in Scripture. The depths of the seas. All of this, all of this happening, even if all that happens, even if it comes apart at the seams, we trust God, nothing changes that. That's what this psalm is talking about. Now, the one thing I want us to get from today is, why is that? I mean, we know why, but specifically, God uses a statement in this psalm. What can we hang on to that even if the mountains are toppling and the earth is coming apart at the seams and the seas are raging, even if it seems like it's all coming apart and coming to destruction, what is the truth that we can hang on that shows us that? But just to give you a little mental picture real quick, this is just a quick video. This is from India, not too long ago. This is kind of just what it looks like when the mountains topple. Imagine, there's going to be a time where it looks like that in this world. We call it the end of times or the apocalypse or however you want to describe it, but it's going to be a scary time. That's the image that the, that the psalmist is trying to get across to us here in these verses, in this, this intro of the verse. So it's like this. No matter what, Tony Evans, he's, he's, he's smarter than me, and so I'll just copy him. The chaos around you shouldn't override the calm within you because the calm within you is not your strength, but the calm within you is the calm and peace of God. As a a follower of Jesus, as someone who has placed their faith in Jesus, submitted their self to Jesus, repented from sin, and turned to Christ, that person has been made right or made at peace with God. And if you are at peace with God, then nothing in this world can overturn that peace when you focus and realize and remember and constantly put before you that that is true. And that is true. That is true. We're at peace with God if you've placed your faith in Christ. If you haven't, I sure would would encourage you to do that. Shifts gears here real quick in verse 4. Right? It's devastation and all this crazy stuff. But there's a river. It streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her, within this dwelling place. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Okay, so first of all, we have different settings going on at the same time for the same imagery here. As is often in Scripture, that is the case. So there's an immediate setting, the application of this, what's happening, right? And there's a general setting, the fact that this is true regardless, even outside of this immediate setting that it's talking about. And then lots of times, especially in the Psalms, and in the Old Testament, there's eschatological setting, which is just a fancy preacher word for the end of times. Okay, so what am I saying? I'm saying there's a general truth that applies regardless here, 
there's an immediate setting that's talking about something that's actually literally happening in the history of Israel, and it's also talking about the end of times, what it's going to look like when, when, when judgment comes and when a new creation comes. Okay? All of those things are happening right here at the same time. And they're contrasting this verse. In this verse, it's contrasting the upheaval of the previous verse. Right, the mountains toppling and the earth and the water and all that. This is contrasting that. See, the, the seas rage and roar, but the river of God is going through the city of God and is peaceful and is purposeful. You can't besiege a city and overtake a city that has an unlimited water supply, is the immediate setting here, which is what you would do back then militarily. If you could surround a city and cut off its water supply, then you had them. This says, hey, there's a, there's a stream of delight rolling right through the middle of the city of God. You can't besiege God's city, and you can't take over his dwelling place, his temple. And so even though all that's happening, the Most High dwells in the Most High place away from that danger. God, unlike the mountains, no matter what, won't topple. And then he says he helps there as the morning dawns, the HCSB says it, or yours may say at daybreak. At daybreak, okay? This is the same wording and the same truth and the same words used as in Exodus 14, 27, right? Here it is. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The waters came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. None of them survived. Obviously talking about the crossing of the Red Sea, and at daybreak, when Moses put his hand over the sea, then all of the Israel's enemies at the time, gone like that. If you were a Jew in this time, you would have caught the wording of that. You would have realized what the psalmist was comparing God's daybreak saving us at daybreak was referring to. But there's also... Something else is referring to that we'll get to in a minute. So God always shows up. He's always right on time. And he has the ability and the desire to do what is best and what is right for his people. Right? So back to verse 4. So the end of times application here that it's talking about. This is the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And all is going to be made right. And all is going to be made peaceful in that time. Right? But something has to happen before we get there. But that's what this is talking about. Okay? That right there. That right there does not exist right now in its entirety. Okay? That, that is to come. God making a new heaven and a new earth. Until sin is dealt with and evil is dealt with, there's always going to be some type of upheaval in the world. The general application here is that Israel and Jerusalem are God's people and God's city. And because of that and not because of themselves, they are special. And this city is special. And because it is chosen by God... It will not topple. It is not going to happen. It still stands. Name me, name me an ancient civilization that still exists to this day in the form that it existed thousands of years ago. You can't do it except for Israel. They're the only ones. And then the immediate application that this is, this is all talking about here, the immediate application was a time in Israel's history when Assyria was closing in on them quick, fast, and in a hurry, but we'll get to that in just a minute. So moving on, verse 6. The nations rage, kingdoms topple, the earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. 
So these, this verse, 6 and 7, these two verses, it summarizes and concludes the first part of the psalm. So it's talked about all this, and then it summarizes it in two verses. It says, hey, man's plans don't work. They don't come to fruition. And in the world, people attack people. The high and mighty that seem untouchable, they fall, right? If, if God tells the earth to melt, then it's going to melt. So trust in his name. That's the summary right there in that verse. Trust God. And what is his name used right here? Some of you know this about me. This is my absolute favorite name of God in all of scripture. I love this descriptive name of God. The Lord of hosts is the way you will see it almost always in the English. Yahweh Savah, or as it is translated most often in the Greek and into the uh, into the Latin, Yahweh Sabaoth. So you'll hear it that way a lot too. Go look at it. Go look at a mighty fortress is our God. It uses that. Yehovah Sabaoth is how it says it in that, in that psalm. It's a, it's a cool way to say it. I like to try to say it in the, in the Hebrew, but I'm not good enough to do that very well. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. I love this name of God. 285 times in various forms it is used in the Old Testament. The Greek translation often says it two different ways. Kurios Pantocrator, which we translate Lord Almighty, or Kurios Tondunamon, which is the Lord of Forces, which if you're a Star Wars geek, think about that. That's really, really cool. The Lord of the Forces. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is the name of God, the Warrior King. Often not how God is portrayed in modern day society. We, we like our God a little nicer and a little more pleasant and a little more pacifist. And I'm here to tell you, that ain't the God of the Bible. It's just not. I mean, he is the God of peace, <laughs> but he's a God of war when it comes to evil. He is God, warrior, king, and he wields at his discretion, his beck and call, at his voice, he wields all the armies of heaven and all the armies of earth. That's what the word hosts mean. We, many times we translate that word as armies in English. That's what it means. He is the Lord. He is the God. He is Yahweh Sabaoth. He is the, the God of all things, and he is the commander of all things. Things. Now, that word Yahweh, too, lots of times we say Lord in the English, but we know that's the actual given name by himself of God about himself. And we just sang about that in the song, in the song, Holy, 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 right? Who was and is and will always be. That's who Yahweh is. That's really cool. How can you trust a God? How can you trust in this, in this infinite being because he was and he is and he always will be ain't nothing changing that that he is the everlasting god of hosts he is the everlasting powerful god in control of all things here's some verses that talk about this so david went on and became great and the lord of hosts was with him why did david go on and become great because he was strong and because he could work a sword very well no because God, the Lord of hosts, was with him. That's First Chronicles. This is, this is the apocalyptic God, right? The scary God. The end of times God. This is Jesus with eyes of flame riding on the white horse 
God. This is the Lord of hosts. This is, this is the God that is kicking evil's rear end and the whole world bowing down to his greatness. That is this God. That is who God is. But this name is reminding us that he is this God. You, you will be punished by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and great noise, with storm and tempest, which is waves, and the flame of devouring fire, Isaiah says, describing the Lord of hosts. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha prayed for this man to understand that don't be scared. You can't see, but God's the Lord of hosts. And here's an example of his host. Here's a physical example of Think about being in the valley and looking up, and chariots and horses were on fire surrounding the whole valley. They weren't being burned up, but they were just on fire. And they were just as many and many and many and many as you could see. All of a sudden, that enemy that you're facing, they don't look near as scary. They don't look near as scary when the Lord of hosts shows you what he's got at his disposal, at his discretion. The Lord of armies, Yahweh Sabaoth. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. That's 1 Kings. Now, lots of the times when the Lord of hosts is talked about, it's during the kingdom period of Israel. Why is that? Because there's a lot of fighting going on. And when there's a lot of war and a lot of tumult and a lot of hard things going on, you need to be reminded that God is the Lord of hosts. He is Yahweh Sabaoth. He is the God of angel armies and earth's armies. He is in control of it all. He is a warrior king. He is amazing. I love this name of God. It's a manly name of God. We, you know, society nowadays gets a little with masculinity, which is stupid. It's foolish, actually. We need femininity in this world. We have plenty of it. We also need masculinity. This is the masculine name of God. It's a good thing to remind us that he is this God. Now, we're going to skip verse 8 and go to verse 9 for a reason, and we'll come back to it. Verse 9. He makes war cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He burns up the chariots. Right? So there's an immediate application here. There's a general application, and there's an eschatological application to these truths. All at the same time. This is all happening at the same time. In general, what this is saying here is God's a God of peace. He is a God of peace. That's what he desires. God desires that there's peace, and one day there will be ultimate peace. He will bring ultimate peace. Peace to everything in the new heaven and then the new earth and then the new Jerusalem. After judgment, there won't be a need for weapons of war because war won't exist. That's what this is saying. And that's a sentiment expressed all throughout Scripture. Now, one immediate historical application, one immediate historical application of this psalm goes along with 2 Kings chapter 18 and chapter 19. This is about 715 B.C. when this is taking place. This is King Hezekiah, right? King Hezekiah. He's one of the good kings of Judah. One of the eight good kings of Judah. And Judah is the southern part of Israel after Israel has split into two nations. Ten tribes in the north keep the name Israel. Two tribes in the south 
take on the name Judah because Judah was the largest tribe uh, of the two tribes in the south. Now, some of the people in the north came and, and came, became part of the southern part of Israel. Well, that's for another day and another thing. I'm not chasing that rabbit. He is a good king. Why is Hezekiah a good king? Because he got rid of the idols and returned Judah to worshiping the Lord. <laughs> Simple. He got rid of the idols, cut down their shearer poles and all that stuff, and, and returned Israel to worshiping the Lord. And right here in this moment, Judah is in real trouble. They appear to be in extreme trouble. So here we are. Here's, his, his, here, here's what's taking place in history. Assyria is taking over everywhere. And by everywhere, I mean everywhere. They've already wiped out, by, by 2 Kings chapter 18, they've already wiped out excuse me, the northern kingdom. The, the northern half of Israel. They're gone now. They're scattered. They, they are no more and haven't been since. God allowed this because, quote, from Scripture, why did God allow this to happen? They did not listen to the voice of the Lord their God, but violated his covenant, all he had commanded Moses, the servant of the Lord. They did not listen and they did not obey, end quote. Lord of hosts. And Assyria has conquered the other surrounding nations, and they've already taken over most of the towns of Judah at this point. And Hezekiah has already paid them a huge settlement of gold and silver to, to, to have them back off for just a little bit. But now Assyria is turning their eyes on Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. And they're going to besiege the city and they're going to take over the city. And the king of the Assyrians has sent his head guy ahead to tell all of Judah and to tell King Hezekiah, don't even try to fight us. Don't even try. Seriously, save yourself the effort. Save yourself the bloodshed. Save yourself the heartache. Don't even try to fight us. You don't have any hope, just as all the other nations haven't had any hope. They prayed to their gods, and they asked their gods to show up, and their gods didn't show up to help them. So what makes you think your little weirdo God that doesn't even have any idols or any poles or anything like that. Hell, he's got us this space where you have these laws. You think your God's going to show up for you? Now, that's a loose paraphrase. But that's kind of pretty much the basis of what this messenger went to King, to King Hezekiah and, the, and Judah and said. He says, your God's not going to show up. He mocks God openly. And this goes on for more than one instance. More than one time he does this. So what does Hezekiah do? Same thing you do when you get in trouble. He goes to the preacher. Like the preacher's got magic powers or something. I don't know. I do the same thing. I have people that I go to. when I, I, He goes to Isaiah. Yes, that Isaiah, the one that wrote the book of Isaiah. He, he was a real person. He lived during this time. He goes to Isaiah, the prophet, and asks him for guidance from the Lord. So we pick it up in 2 Kings 19.5 with Isaiah's response to King Hezekiah from the Lord when Hezekiah has asked for help in this unwinnable situation. It's a decent amount of scripture, so stay with me. I'll try and read it fast so you won't get bored. Don't get bored. It's God's word. Good grief. So the servants of King Hezekiah went to Isaiah, who said to them, Tell your master this. The Lord says, Don't be afraid. Notice how that always comes up. Don't be afraid because of the words you have heard that the king of Assyria's attendants have blasphemed me with. I'm about to put a spirit in him, and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land where I will cause him to fall by the sword. Right? So the king, uh, 
the king, I can never say his name, Sennacherib is the king of Assyria, sent his last message back, says this. This is still God talking. Don't, this is him talking back to them now, excuse me. Don't let your God, whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. This is the last message sent by the king of Assyria back to Hezekiah after Hezekiah has already received one word from the Lord. Don't trust your God promising that Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the king of Assyria of Assyria have done to all the countries. They completely destroyed them. Will you be rescued? Did the gods of the nations that my predecessors destroyed rescue them? King Hezekiah took the letter from the land of the messengers. Read it. Read this message. I want to hear it. Then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. Then King Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. Lord God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim. Remember we talked about that last week. The Ark of the Covenant, right? Is enthroned above the cherubim. You are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. Lord, it is true that the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their land. Verse 18. They have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but made by human hands. Wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now... Lord, our God, please save us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. He's saying, God, we can't do it. We can't do it. We are way, way, way outmatched. But you, Lord, can. You can do it. And you can do it so that everybody knows who you are and so that everybody knows That we are yours. That's a bold prayer. Does that look anything or sound anything like how you pray to God? That's just a nugget. That was for free. Think about that. And God answers Hezekiah through Isaiah. And God says, I hear what they've said about me. Trust me, I've heard what they said. And I hear how powerful they say they are. And I hear what they're going to do. I hear all of it. And then he says this. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in and you're raging against me because you're raging against me and your arrogance have reached my ears. I will put my hook in your nose, you little punk, and drag you across the floor and my bit in your mouth and I will make you go back the way you came. That's how he finishes up this message back to Assyria through Isaiah to Hezekiah, back to the king of Assyria. I'm in control, and I'm about to show you all that I'm in control. And he gives them a sign of what is to come, what to look for, and what's going on. And in verse 31, here it comes. You ready? There's a a point for all this. promise. Verse 31. This is how God finishes. For a remnant will go out from Jerusalem and survivors from the Mount of Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Why do I love this name? Because this is kicking rear end name of God. I mean, who doesn't like that? Think about it. Think about all the shows you like, all the revenge killing shows you like, right? It's because the bad guy gets his rear end kicked in the end, right? That's the story of all mankind. That's the story of evil. Evil gets its rear end kicked in the end. And this name of God reminds us of that. He's already won. 
the fight. Just remember it. Just remember it when we're in the midst of what seems to be an unwinnable battle. He's already won the fight. The Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Not you, Hezekiah, and not you, and not you, and not you, and not me. The Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Yahweh Shavah'ah, the Lord of hosts, the God warrior king in charge of all the hosts of creation, the armies of heaven, and the armies of earth, all of it. That's who's in control. And he says, the king of Assyria, in these verses, he's not even going to enter into the city. He won't even be allowed to shoot one arrow into the city. No assault, no fighting, no battle, nothing. That's what God says in these verses. He's going to be sent home, period. That's the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaah. And he says this at the end. I will defend this city and rescue it for my sake, God says, and for the sake of my servant David, which is a way of saying, because I've promised that this will happen. And because I've promised it will happen, it will happen. Because of who I am and what I've promised to do, I'm going to do this. Now, what happened? Some of you are not listening to me and you've read ahead because you want to know what happens. What happens? Verse 35. That night, after God has said this is going to happen, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 soldiers in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people got up in the next morning, they were all the dead bodies laying around. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and left. He returned home and lived in Nineveh. Hmm. And then, verse 37, one day, while he was worshiping, that would be Sennacherib, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nishrach, his sons, Ejimelech, and Sherezer struck him down with the sword and escaped to the land of Ararat. Then his son, Esarhaddon, became king in his place. Sounds to me like God kind of took care of this problem for Israel and took care of this punk that was talking so blasphemy, so boldly against Yahweh Shavah, the Lord of hosts. Now, we were in verse 9 when he breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease. Well, we've got to go back to verse 8. And we've got to go back to verse 8 with that in mind because that's the historical setting of this psalm. Back to verse 8. Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. Yes, he breaks the bow and he bends the spears. Yes, wars will cease. Yes, chariots will be burned up, which was like tanks back then. Yes, the most powerful military stuff is going to go. It's going to end. But that is going to come at the expense of judging and defeating evil once and for all. And it will be a holy, terrifying, warrior, God, king-like event in order for that to happen. It's going to take a lot. It's going to be devastation like devastation has never been seen before. For us to get to the point where God establishes peace once and for all. Understand that in order for God to defeat evil and still give evil sinners like you and me a way to escape and be spared this devastation, it came at the ultimate, ultimate price. The highest act of love ever committed on this earth. 
This devastation is coming, but this same warrior king, God, didn't want a single human being to have to experience it. And in order to do that, he paid the way for you to come back to him. Son of God sacrificed so, so mankind could be welcomed as a child of God and co-heirs to the riches of heaven with Jesus Christ. And to be spared this devastation. So with that in mind, he says, so stop fighting. Yours may say, be still. Now, be still is not wrong, depending on how you think of be still. If it's like, hmm, be still and know that I am God. Then no, that's not what it means. If it's like a parent telling an unruly child with authority in their voice, say it from your chest, right? Be still. Now you're more along the right tracks. Okay? And in, in, in the context of what it's saying, all that's being talked about here, it's more like stop fighting. Stop thinking you can do it on your own. Stop thinking you can defeat the king of Assyria. You can't. Not without me. That's what he's saying. It's like, it's like relax. Or Todd's listening, I know, from Florida today. It's like, stop it. Right? That Bob Hope skit or, or uh, Bob Newhart skit. That's so funny. Stop it. Stop the running on the hamster wheel of life and trust me. Stop the running on the hamster wheel of life and trust me. Stop thinking you have to get ahead. Stop thinking you have to take that job so you can get a little more money because then everything will be fine. It won't be fine. It won't. Stop doing that and trust me. Stop your fighting. Relax. Be still. God's saying, I got this. I'm above all this. And I will be exalted. I will be lifted up. I will be exalted. I will be praised by everything, everyone that I have created. It will happen, God says. And then he finishes there. Last verse, reminding us again. I will be exalted because I am Yahweh of hosts. I am the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies and the, angel and the armies of the earth. I am Yahweh Shavah. I'm in control of it all. I am the warrior king, the good, benevolent king with the ability to kick the tail end of those that would hurt my people. I am that God. And he finishes there with that same word that he used in verse 7, stronghold. Now, if you're in the King James, it uses refuge every time. At the beginning, it says refuge. In verse 7, it says refuge. In verse 11, it says refuge. And that's not wrong. It's just not as detailed as it could be because it's actually two different words in the Hebrew. And this word here for stronghold is a high and lofty fortress. The word that we used earlier, mispafah, Ooh, that was bad. Is a refuge from a storm. This word is like having the high ground. Removed from it all. Up above high where you can look down and see. Completely removed from anything the earth could possibly throw at you. It's a different word and it's really cool. How do you keep going, church? You remember who you've placed your faith in. Yahweh Savaah. Yahweh Sabaoth. Lord of hosts. Memorize one of those and remember who God is. He is the Lord of hosts. That's who's with us. He is our stronghold. He is our high and mighty fortress. He is the one that has done what it takes to make it all right 
in the end. And regardless of what we go through in this life, if we keep that as our foundation, that truth, that Jesus Christ is the warrior God king that can protect his people and kick evil's tail. And he's already done what it took for that to take place on the cross and in the empty tomb. If we remember that, then there's nothing this world can do or throw at us to shake us away from that. And that's how we can do things that are inexplicable to the world. Because with that heart and with that mindset, the Spirit can work in us and we will be obedient in a way that the world just doesn't understand how it's possible. The same way that the king of Assyria, Assyria when he woke up that morning, was like, what happened? The exact same way. But all he asks us to do is trust him. Trust him, trust him, and live it out in that trust. I'm going to pray for us and we'll finish up. If you have business you need to attend to, let's tend to it. If you want to profess faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as this Lord and Savior, then come this morning and let's celebrate that with you. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the truth of your word. God, thank you that you are our stronghold, our high and mighty, lifted up, lofty fortress. God, thank you that you are capable of defeating sin and you have defeated sin. And thank you that you are capable of defeating evil, Lord, and that you will ultimately prove your glory and your, and your ability to be exalted when you finally bring evil to an end once and for all and cast Satan and his demons in hell forever right where he deserves to be. Lord, and until that day, may we be strengthened and be strong because of you, and because of what you can do in and through us and not because of ourselves, God. Thank you for the price that you paid to spare us from this devastation, Lord. Thank you that you love us enough to take the price on yourself. Sacrifice your son to prove your love for us. God, thank you for that this morning. May we be strengthened in that hope this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.